Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Friday, August the 11th, 2023. This is episode 3,352 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, again, it is Friday, so it's time for an expert counsel Q&A show before we even get into what we'll be talking about today. I did want to just say thank you to all of you who have reached out to me with Get Well messages and things like that. Again, it's not like it's a horrible illness that I'm dealing with. It's just preventing me from being able to do a good job as a podcaster, um, especially during you know the week. Instead, like Fridays are these expert counsel shows. They're audio only. I have a pause button. I can take a break. I can come back to it. Trying to do live streaming when you can't focus and you're blowing sweat out of your head, uh, probably not a good idea. So I've just abstained from that this week. But we should be back next week with our regularly scheduled programming. I do have a good Friday show for you, though. Ron Paul Liberty highlights. Dr. Paul is going to talk about the long decline, 100-plus years of the welfare uh, and warfare state. And... The you know they had this new thing that came out about the age of climate warming is over now it's climate boiling or global boil now what's really boiling is the welfare state and the warfare state it's reaching an end game and we're we're living through it we just happen to be the generation that gets to live through it Dan McAdams will talk about how the mainstream media is finally admitting Ukraine is losing and will lose the war but yet we keep sending young Ukrainians into the meat grinder the only thing I can think of when I look at Ukraine right now is, well, I can think about, damn it, I hate being right, again. But I keep thinking of the song, The Greenfields of France, and one particular line in that song. A whole generation was butchered and damned. That's what's been done to an entire, I would say two generations of Ukrainian men. And for no gain. And for no gain. And you can be angry at, with, at me for saying it, but the thing that most angers people is the truth in opposition to their beliefs. So if you're angry at me for saying it, maybe, just maybe, you're starting to catch up to where the media is finally starting to catch up to. That this was inevitable. Which when the whole thing started, I told you, it was inevitable. Next up, Chris Rossini will talk about how our busybody nation, by attempting to control the world, is leading to bankruptcy at home. You, you literally are living through the end of an empire's age right now. That's what every one of these segments from the Ron Paul team is about. Moving on, though, we'll hear from Paul Wheaton about pre-fitting a rocket mass heater in the home. Then we'll hear about backup power options when you just don't have a generator as an option. Tim Toolman Cook on that. Doc Bones will talk about dealing with bee and wasp stings. John Pugliano has a twofer for you. Probably one of the only people in the world that could do this. A question on 401k investing, and a question on digital ham radios at the same time. And then I have an anchor story for you that's probably good that I'm ill while I'm doing this, because I won't get amped up, because I can't. I don't have the voice for it. There's a guy in Atlanta, he he had a house. Where do you hear this, if you haven't heard it yet today? He had a house, nothing wrong with his house. The city 
sends a demolition notice. The house is unfit to be lived in. The problem is, like, he lives on lane and they were supposed to go to road or something like that. The house is actually supposed to be demolished a mile and a half away from his house. Not his house. The city demolishes his house by mistake. They haul away all the debris. The man's left with nothing but a lot. You think, hey, this has to be rectified. We live in a democracy, for God's sakes. The city sent him a bill for the demolition. You've got to pay for the demolition of your own house, even though we know we demolished the wrong house. You mad yet? Oh, wait. There's more. Not only have they demolished his house and charged him for it, since he's not paying the bill, because would you? They've added interest and penalties. They now want $68,000 from this man whose house they destroyed. And if he doesn't pay them, they have him in rapid foreclosure court. They're going to take his land and sell the land to cover the bill. And whatever the land doesn't cover, he'll still owe. This is America today. Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. A man minding his own business has his house destroyed, his property taken, and they sent him the bill for it. And while his lawsuit is held up, their lawsuit against him is not. What a shock. Finger on a scale much. Anyway, that's what we got today. I am going to keep things short today, so we'll go straight on into it. Let's hear from Dr. Paul and his team with the Liberty Highlights of the Week. I think you have to blame philosophy. I think you have to blame it all the way back to prior 1913. It was the uh, progressive movement that generalized, uh, uh, generated the desire to have the government run everything, the welfare warfare state. The, the problem has been smoldering, but it's about to boil. The boiling has begun. And I think we can just look back a day or so when the rating uh, was announced uh, by Fitch. And, the, uh, and even if it doesn't get announced next week uh, for another downgrading, but the value of the dollar and the problems we have will continue. But the answer is not complicated. The, can, the answers can be found in the principles of liberty. And for the most part, there are many answers in our Constitution. So that is what we need to do, but we need more people involved and more people, you know, protecting themselves financially, protecting their families in, in, a, in a literal sense. And that is what has to happen. But philosophically, we have to protect ourselves as a group of people with devising and understanding the principles of liberty. Because if you're just saying, oh, no, the whole battle is between Trump and Biden, I'll tell you what. I know what, <clears throat> there's some serious things there, and there will be a difference. But I tell you what, overall, the momentum for spending, whether it's the militarism, you know, they, they can't even wind on that war. You know, there's still problems in the Middle East, Syria, and Ukraine. And now we're, now we're just yesterday announced we have to send a lot more military operations to Taiwan. You know, we might have to fight China. I mean, the whole thing is insane. Uh, when liberty can give us the answer. So I, I have a difficult time trying to understand why people reject liberty because it seems to me that brings people together and it offers us a system of government that provides the maximum amount of liberty and the maximum amount of prosperity and peace. Even the mainstream media is starting to admit what people like Doug McGregor have been saying from the beginning which is Ukraine is losing and will lose the war. But despite admitting this, 
still egging them on. You guys, more of you need to die. You need to be slaughtered because we need to attack Russia. Here's a CNN article, one in the latest in a long series of recent articles admitting that Ukraine is losing. This title is Western allies receive increasingly sobering updates on Ukraine's counteroffensive. Quote, this is the most difficult time of the war. And let's go forward because this is one quote from this. And remember, this is CNN, the most pro-war probably network there is. Um, here is a senior Western diplomat quoted by CNN, quote, I think they're still going to see for the next couple weeks if there's a chance of making some progress. But for them to really make progress that would change the balance of the conflict, I think it's extremely highly unlikely. They know that they're not winning. And let's fast forward one more. Mike Quigley, U.S. representative and Illinois Democrat, he also knows that. Our briefings are sobering. We're reminded of the changes they face, he said. This is the most difficult time of the war. Yet he still urges more money to be spent and for the war to go on, even seeing as they do that there is no counteroffensive gains whatsoever. Yeah. Yes, after the credit downgrade, you know, the usual blame game. It was this person's fault, that person's fault. Uh, the Secretary of Treasury, Janet Yellen, she said something that I found funny. She said, President Biden and I are committed to fiscal sustainability. I mean, talk, talk about something that is so unsustainable. Just the interest on the debt, I believe, is either a trillion or maybe over a trillion. I, I don't keep that close of an eye. That's just to keep this going. You know, any, anybody that has had credit card problems knows what that's all about, where you're just paying just to spin the wheels. You're not paying the debt off. Uh, you know, you're just paying the interest. And that's what the government's in. But the government, they have all these promises. They have the Medicare, and people expect our Social Security checks. They have empire around the world. You know, and, and we're getting a, we're living through how empires, why you should never, ever become an empire. Because they always bankrupt themselves. You think of every empire of the past, they're all gone. You know, because it doesn't work, because they became an empire. The philosophy becomes to take care of the rest of the world before yourself. And that's the philosophy of this country. I mean, just, we have a lot of problems with Trump. But just the suggestion of America first, America first. No, we're an empire. We got Our money has to go all over the world to control the world. And we're seeing that this is unsustainable. That's why the Secretary of Treasury is wrong. This is not fiscal sustainability. This is the road to bankruptcy. And uh, the more that they spend, uh, you know, they, they can't do it all. And that's why the end game eventually arrives. And we're heading in that direction. You know, ultimately, just paying the interest on the debt is going to be too much. And then you're going to have a severe financial crisis. Yeah, it's sustainable to have a plan that if everything goes according to plan, we will have a interest on the debt of $2.5 trillion within 10 years. That's sustainable. That's the way these people think. This is the end of an empire. And I want to put it in perspective for you. You know, they did a good job. What about the warfare and the welfare state? And spending our money abroad to trying to control the world. And that's often what empires look like at their end, and they always go bankrupt. There's other things that are common with, bank, uh, with, with uh, empires, though. One is they always move into the world of fiat currency. 
This is an expensive operation trying to tell other nations what to do with themselves. So it's never sustainable on a hard money. So empires always move into fiat currency, and within about a hundred years of doing so, end up bankrupt and desolate and collapse on themselves. Always. There's another common thing with empires, and we've done this as well. Empires have always been built on annual grain production. Annual grain production. Empires are never built on perennial pastures. Perennial pastures require hard money investment. And I don't just mean money in the form of gold or Bitcoin. I mean in you have to look at your land as a valuable asset and not on a balance sheet. The individual managing the land has to look at that land and think, it is my responsibility to do everything that when I die and they bury me in a little plot out back, that what I leave behind is more valuable, not on a balance sheet, from a productive standpoint, to my heirs than it is right now. And this cannot, I don't care permaculture, I don't care uh, organics, I don't care anything. This cannot be done on an intensive extraction annual production model. Even if you look at somebody who does a beautiful job with annual production in a regenerative way, Jeff Lawton at the PRI in Australia, it's because about 20%, if 20%, more like 15% of the land at the PRI is in annual production, dedicated annual production gardens. And those annual production gardens are fed by the other 85% of the property's outputs, primarily animal outputs. So in every empire, go look. Go look it up if you doubt me. The empire was built on annual grain production, and when the soil fell, inevitably, which it has to, in that model, when you start plowing hedgerow to hedgerow, when you leave nothing, and all you want to know is how much can I get out of every square foot of this piece of land, you extract and you mine the minerals from the land. And even when there's still minerals there, they're no longer bioavailable, and a country becomes sick and aged early, and they collapse upon themselves. And the other commonality is what? The producers, they shrink in number, and the consumers expand. And your genius former president has a plan. Seems like it would be a great time to do something like this. So most Trump supporters, with very good reason, abhor big cities. Big cities are terrible. They don't want to live in big cities. Rural America is where the majority of Trump supporters live. I'm not picking on them right now. At all. I'm not even picking on Trump. I'm about to pick on his idea. But you understand what I'm saying. Even the Trump supporters, if you say, where are you from? They'll say Dallas. They don't live in Dallas. They live past the Beltway suburbs in Dallas. Same with the Fort Worth side or Atlanta or Jacksonville or whatever. All of these people that support Trump do not want to live in urban areas, period. They don't want to live there. With very good reasons. Same reason I say what? Get out, get out, get out. All right. The orange man's new plan, and people were saying it was a deep fake. He put it out himself on his own social media bullshit, is to build 10 new, giant, glorious, huge, huge cities in America. 10 new ones. Screw fixing the ones that are falling apart. Let's build 10 new cities in America. This seems to line up pretty well with Agenda 2030, I'm just saying. 
push more and more people into the cities and more and more people out of rural America. This is another thing that happens with empires when they're in complete and total decay and decline. Somebody comes in and becomes the great builder. We're going to rebuild America by building new things. But there's no money for the new cities. There's plenty of places that need revitalization. Screw that. The Democrats ruined them. Well, don't you think that if you build a new city, you're building a new Democrat farm, a new progressive liberal farm? That's what cities are. They literally produce liberals. You take young men and women, you send them off to the state schools in these cities. They grow up in very conservative households. And by the time they get out the other end of that, they're, they're encouraged to go to one of these wonderful universities where the final part of teaching them to hate everything their parents stood for and everything their parents did to put them through school and give them opportunity to hate that. And to see that as the cause of all problems. Let's build ten more of those. Let's cram more people closer together in ten new giant cities. And what's amazing to me, and this is why you know you're at the end of an empire, the Trump supporters that hate cities will do Olympic-level mental gymnastics to defend this idea because it's their side. This is where you live, America, today, in 2023. In 2023, conspiracy theorists tell you UFOs are not real or they're American uh, aircraft and they're using it as a co cover screen and the government infers to you that aliens are real and visiting us it is 2023 and conspiracy theorists tell you that you have both uh, acquired and innate immunity in your immune system to help protect you from common viruses and the scientific community says you don't this is America in 2023 in America, in 2023, we don't know what a woman is if we're a doctor or a scientist or a Supreme Court justice, because in her words, I am not a biologist. How dare I say what a man and a woman is? But a conspiracy theorist tells you there's two genders, and a man has a dick and balls, and a woman has a vagina, and a woman can have a baby, and a man can't. That's what the conspiracy theorists are, are telling you now. This is where you live. You live in a world today where school teachers and professional educators and administrators say it's perfectly acceptable and normal to talk to five to eight-year-old children about sex and gender transition and to tell them, don't tell your parents. And conspiracy theorists, I'm using air quotes every time I say conspiracy theorists here, guys, say it's not okay and it amounts to grooming by pedophiles and their enablers. Economists in 2023, economists, vaulted economists, say we can print as much money as we want and nothing bad will come of it. And conspiracy theorists point to history and how it always ends in economic collapse. When you hear this and you start thinking to yourself, you know, there's literally no way to have a conversation with the other side at all anymore. There's no way that we can sit down and have a rational conversation with people who think men can have babies, who think you can print money at will and it's all okay, who think it's okay to have another nation destroy two generations of men in the name of something completely undoable, for no gain for either side, for us included. When you have a society where people make statements like there's 84 genders, and you can be any one of them you want to at will. 
And no one can question it. When that happens, when you think to yourself, there's no way we can have a conversation anymore, you're starting to get the point. Because this is the biggest commonality when empires decline into debauchery. The rulers of the empires, desperate to cling to power, ensure that there are two factions that can no longer communicate with each other in any way that makes any sense at all. It buys them just a little bit more time where, like rats, they pack up their gold and swim to shore while the ship that they were told to captain sinks. This is where you live. And so that means we better start building our own things. And one of the things we can build is rocket mass heat. It's a weird transition, I know, but i got to do it somehow because that's the next segment. Paul Wheaton, and now you can pre-fit a home, get it inspected, and then have it all ready to go to, after the fact, install rocket mass heat. Paul, take it away. Hi, Jack. This is Paul Wheaton from Permies.com. I'm here today with Samantha. Hello. And um, I'm trying, the, together we're going to try and answer this question from Matthew. Uh, he says, question for Paul Wheaton, how to pre-fit a rocket mass heater in a home? How could someone hypothetically build a home so that it would pass inspection, then install a rocket mass heater to heat with? Hmm. Okay, so um, I saw a fascinating thing about England not long ago. And, and this guy doesn't say where he is. He could be in England, probably okay. in Texas. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, okay, um, the the thing that he said is is that the big difference is, is, is are you building something that's going to be a permanent part of your home or are you like buying a, an appliance, like a refrigerator, and just plugging it in? Or maybe you, it's a little uh, heater that you plug into the wall. It's UL listed. Mm-hmm. Or are you bringing in a giant flower pot and <laughs> growing a plant in your living room? And so the key is, is it a a permanent modification to your home or something else. Now, I would say that there's definitely a part where you're going to make a hole in the roof to carry the exhaust outside. So you could make a space for a conventional wood stove complete with a hole out the roof and then have that be inspected, only there's no wood stove. Then the next thing is, is like, for example... With a pebble-style rocket mass heater, it's kind of a box. Right. And it holds a bunch of pebbles. And if you can pack it up and put it on a truck in an hour, which, mm-hmm. like, like for the can. one in the Fisher-Price house, yes. that one can be packed up and put on a truck in, like, under an hour. That's no longer a permanent modification to the building. Mm. That is um, a, a temporary thing. And you just put it in, and it's kind of like, what if you buy, if you go onto Amazon and you buy an, a window air conditioner and you mount it in your window? Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, it's kind of doing that. Now, at the same time, some people have a bit more courage in this department. Right. And even more than that, there are a lot of insurance companies and a lot of building codes that are embracing rocket mass heaters yeah. more and more every year. It's getting easier and easier. Um in fact, um, there are some insurance companies that are loving a rocket mass heater as a secondary heat source because mm-hmm. when you uh, heat your home with, say, mini splits mm-hmm. and then uh, you're in a cl- cold climate 
and then you travel and you're away and then the power goes out and it's out for three days, then all the pipes in your home freeze and your insurance company has to pay for that. And your Mm -hmm. insurance company, or actually that's a terrible example that I gave. Um, Let me... Let me try another way. You're at home, and the uh, the power goes out for three days. So then you could fire up a rocket mass heater, yeah, and uh, and save all those pipes from freezing. Ta-da! Mm-hmm. They they like that. They like the idea that you have two sources of heat: right. one that's on a thermostat for when you go away, and one where you're right there and the power goes out and you're going to continue to heat those pipes to make it so that there's not an insurance claim. Mm. Um, so anyway, the, the, all right, the question is, is hypothetically build a home. I would say that I would, I would want to build the home with the exhaust because that's a permanent change mm-hmm. and then just bring in an appliance that's temporary, just a, a box that ha- you happen to hook up to it um, and then that could be your gambly gamble or not, depending on how you want to play it. All right. Sounds good. The, Make sure their floor is strong. Well, it's pretty and, heavy. And I think, you know, if you're going to design the house from the beginning to be with, uh, to consider a rocket mass heater, you'd make your floor strong. Yeah. But it could be a cement pad. Uh-huh. Um, the government loves uh, cement in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's not, then you would uh, shore it up from underneath. I mean, the Fisher Price house has a double wide. It's yeah. on wheels. If you look under the skirt of the house, you'll see wheels. The whole thing. And we went under there where the where the rocket mass heater is, and we uh, put a bunch of braces under there to support the extra weight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jack. Staying in the vein of solutions, we're going to hear from Tim Toolman Cook next. What if you need backup power? I bet the first thing you think of is, I should get a generator. And I, and Tim, would agree. There is no more uh, of a reliable form of backup power than a generator. Even when you talk, start talking to me about off-grid, solar panels, you know, personal windmills, battery, ba- all that shit, I would still say, and a generator. Because sometimes the wind doesn't blow and sometimes the sun doesn't shine. And even if you have an awesome off-grid situation, where you don't really care about the grid at all anymore, it would still make sense to have a generator so that you could top up those batteries. But what if you can't have a generator? I know a lot of people would say, well, that's just somebody making an excuse. And maybe. But there are reasons. Like, you know, somebody lives on the fourth floor of an apartment complex. Because along with generator, you need fuel. Would just be one example. So are there options for backup power for people who can't afford or to do situations can't have a generator? And can we learn from that even if we have a generator for other options? Hey guys, Toolman Tim, coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back to answer another question for you, so let's dive right in. This question actually came from somebody whom I didn't get their name at the Thrivalist Fair the other day when I was there at Addie, Washington. Had a great time with a whole bunch of uh, really cool people. Anyway, they asked me, hey Tim, what can I do if I can't afford a generator? Or then we got talking and they said, well, maybe I just can't have or store a generator. What are my options? Well, there's a few. And one that I used to not recommend at all, and it's starting to get quite a bit better. But let's start about the traditional. Let's start talking about the traditional one first. So if you live in a house and you have parking near your home and you drive a vehicle, you have a great big generator in your driveway. 
here's the thing. You can buy something that will run any appliance, any plug-in-the-wall appliance in your home for, you know, around 100 bucks. So here's the thing. Any single appliance in your home that plugs into a standard 110 outlet is 1500 watts or less. So that means your generator, your sump, sorry, that means your freezer, your sump pump, your fridge, anything else like that. So if you want to run one of those, get yourself an inverter. Now, the thing is, it requires you to hook it up directly to your battery in your car. But that's okay. It's not that hard. If you can use a wrench or a socket, you can do it. Basically just, or you can put alligator clips on it and not worry about it. Works really good that way. So here's the thing. You pop the hood of your car, you hook the red to the red, the black to the black, and you now have an inverter that'll run straight off your battery. Now, if you're going to be running anything heavy duty at all, make sure your vehicle is running as well. So there's Number one, always make sure your vehicle is as topped up as you can. If it's given a storm, top it up. Because all of a sudden you got a great big battery of fuel set aside right there. So, you know, just make it a rule that half of a tank is empty and fill it up anytime you get it half. Now, you run yourself a good extension cord. Get yourself a good, you know, 12 gauge extension cord if you're going to run it any length of space. And then find a place to bring it into the home. I used to use a doggy door. If you use a window, put a towel in the window because usually the weather's really nasty. Bring it in, put some splitters into it, and then you can run your fridge for an hour, unplug it, run your freezer for an hour, unplug it. If you have a problem with water in your basement, you can then do that and unplug that. So it's a really good way of cycling through for around a hundred bucks because if you already have your vehicle and you're keeping it topped up with fuel, a hundred bucks gets you a really good inverter that you can run directly off your vehicle. Now, a lot of people say, well, I have a plug in my car. Well, there's a good chance if it's in the front, like in the dash somewhere, it's probably rated at 75 watts, maybe 150 if you're lucky. So you're going to burn a fuse out real quick if you try to plug anything heavy duty into that. So do yourself a favor, go to Amazon or Harbor Freight and pick up, you know, a 1500 watt, if you can, pure sine wave inverter. And that's all you really need. Get yourself a good extension cord. I'll send Jack some links for this. Now, here's the next thing, something I never used to recommend, or I didn't love them, but you can call, some people call them solar generators. Some people call them battery packs. You'll see them as Jackery. Uh, they're very common in a few other brands. I recently tested out a PowerSmart one from Amazon. It's around just under 300 bucks. It's got 500 watts of power in it. This thing is actually surprisingly powerful. You know, it'll only run your fridge for a little less than two hours, roughly. But it may be all you need. Now, the average North American power outage is only four hours long. Most people aren't going to need any backup power for the average power outage for your fridge. But if you couple these with a couple of solar panels or you get yourself a bigger one with 1500 watts, it could be perfect for an apartment size idea or an apartment size living quarters. Now, maybe you don't have a vehicle or maybe you don't want to store fuel or whatever it is. These are getting better and better, especially the ones that are up to 1500 watts. And if you have good south-facing windows, you know, two to 400 watts of fold-up solar panels, and you can have yourself a pretty decent, it's not going to be as good as a whole home generator or even a, you know, a, a 9K generator that you can roll out from your garage. But the thing is surprisingly robust. And something else that I love about these is they have these little 12-volt 
outlets on them. So you can take this around with you and run, if you have a bunch of 12-volt items, you can run it off that as well. I have a 12-volt compressor that I was trying to test out the other day, and instead of needing to run it off the vehicle, I can just take this little battery pack with me. And the best thing I like about these is they have a wonderful, simple interface. You push a button, it works. And on the screen, it tells you how much capacity you have left, tells you how much power you're drawing out of it, and how long that power is going to last. So your options, if you can't afford a generator or you can't keep a generator or don't have room for a generator, are either, you know, a an inverter off your car battery or one of these new battery packs, solar generators, whatever you want to call them. And you're going to pay more for them. You know, the solar panels are going to cost as much as that $299 one, or you can go better with a Jackery or an EcoFlow. Some of them are really nice, but really expensive. So I hope that helps just a little bit. I'll throw links uh, in the description of the email to Jack, and hopefully that'll get you guys set up. You want to know more about what I'm up to? Uh, go by toolmantim.co. Uh, go by YouTube at toolmantim's workshop or workshop radio in all your podcast feeds four times a week, where we have some pretty interesting guests. I've been doing a deep dive recently in the history of modern preparedness. We've even done an empty container series, which sounds incredibly dull, but it's the complete opposite. We go through the history of things like mason jars, and then we go through all the different lists that you can have. It's actually been a really fun series. So if you're looking for something else to stick in your ears and listen to while you're out there getting shit done, add the workshop radio to your podcast feed. And with that, guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. I'm just going to say... If I lived in an apartment where they said you can't have a generator, I would probably have a generator on my porch, my outdoor porch, and it would just be covered, and you don't need to know what it is, and it's not your business, or it'd be stored away inside if I couldn't securely store it outside due to whatever reason. I'd probably have a couple gas cans out there also tarped and put away. I would not store gas in my house. Ten gallons of gas, a little inverter generator for 300 bucks. You could argue with me. While the power is out and my generator runs, whether or not I'm allowed to have a generator or not. I'm just saying. That's probably what I would do. If I, That was the reason that I couldn't have one. Just saying. In fact, you know, I may have done that in a prior life when I used to live in an apartment when I was a young man. And I may have told or may not have told somebody to go cram it up their ass when they didn't like the fact that my generator was running. It may or may not have happened. I, I don't know. Anyway, moving on from there, what if you get stung by a bee or a wasp? It seems like no big deal, but it can be a big deal, especially if you are the highest level of medical support around. With that, Doc Bones on being a wasp stings. Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival website doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 1,500 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. I'm also the co-author of the fourth edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, greatly expanded and revised, and designer of quality medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Well, you'd have to look pretty far and wide if you wanted to find someone who hasn't been stung by an insect at one point or another. It's not pleasant in any situation, but bees and wasps especially can inflict some real discomfort if you run afoul of them. In a small minority of cases, allergic reactions to the venom that they inject can actually be life-threatening, the condition that we call anaphylaxis. Now, we've talked about it a number of times before on this podcast. Most stinging insects belong to the order Hymenoptera, which includes wasps, bees, even fire ants. We'll talk about fire ants some other time. 
The stinger is a modified egg-laying apparatus, so only females can sting. But, as you know, worker bees and worker wasps don't really reproduce, so basically instead they have a stinger. Despite the most commonly known stinging insects living in hives and colonies, most actually, believe it or not, live solitary lives or relatively peaceful if you leave them undisturbed. The more social ones, though, like hornets and yellow jackets and honeybees, well, they vigorously defend the nest. And some will register their annoyance in no uncertain terms if you interfere with their daily activities. Now let's talk about the difference between regular honeybees and Africanized bees. The European honeybee, which is essentially the type of bee that we have here in general, is important for crop pollination and honey production. The Africanized, or killer bee, believe it or not, is a hybrid of the East African lowland honeybee crossed with various honeybee species or subspecies in Europe. The two types of bees look about the same, and their behavior is similar in many respects, and neither will probably sting when they're just gathering nectar and pollen, but many will sting in defense if you provoke them. The difference is that the Africanized honeybees are less predictable and much more defensive than European honeybees. They defend a wider area around their nest, respond quickly and in greater numbers than their European counterpart. They're also much more persistent in their defense. They might chase intruders for hundreds of yards. They do not give up. Now, while we're differentiating stuff, let's differentiate the difference between wasps and hornets. Although a hornet's a type of wasp, there are differences. Wasps are very slender in their waist area as opposed to hornets, which are built thicker and rounder in the midsection. Hornets also tend to be larger in general. They have wider heads. In addition, the common wasps have only one set of wings, while hornets have two. From a behavior standpoint, hornets are more aggressive, usually inflict more painful stings. In rare cases, the neurotoxin in some hornet stings can be pretty deadly. I decided to talk about bee and wasp stings now because they're most commonly found during summer and early fall when they're most active and hives and nests are most populated. Another factor that contributes to the number of stings is that people spend more time outside during summer and early fall. The stinging incidents that we see most often occur when nests are disturbed. Now, if you see several wasps or bees flying back and forth from a certain area, that's a sign that you probably should avoid it. What attracts a bee or wasp to sting? Well, bees and wasps can be attracted to certain odors drawn to flowers and fruit trees, of course, but also the smell, believe it or not, of perfumes and scented soaps. You might want to avoid wearing these near hive, nest, or other bee and wasp-rich environments. Uh, strangely, they also seem to like the smell of rotting garbage. Yeesh. Now, people wearing short sleeves, short pants, or going barefoot expose more skin than can possibly be sites for stings. So if you're going into an area where there is a lot of these guys, you may want to wear long pants and you may want to wear long sleeves. Also, wearing brightly colored clothing attracts their attention, so you may want to stay away from those flowered Hawaiian shirts, possibly. What does a sting look like, and what symptoms does it cause? Well, a sting usually appears as a red raised welt with a puncture hole in the middle. You can expect a, an instant sharp burning pain at the site of the sting. Hives or welts may develop peak signs maybe at about 48 hours, can last up to a week, and as time passes, the area may swell and look red and bruised. Now, bee stings look similar to wasp stings, but they leave a barbed stinger in the wound. This proves fatal to the bee as it leaves some of its organs with the stinger as it pulls away. Wasps, however, have a smooth stinger that doesn't stay in the wound, making it possible for an individual wasp to sting multiple times in a short period of time. That is bad news. 
Pain from a sting can last a couple of hours, but the swelling and redness can last for a week. Uh, wasp stings, they tend to be more painful than bee stings. The pain from an insect sting is calculated using something called the Schmidt Sting Pain Index. This scale ranges from 1 to 4, with 4 being the most painful. Most bees fall around level 1 to 2, while wasps are commonly level 3, and some species of wasps actually level 4, so they can be pretty darn painful. Now let's talk about the kinds of really bad allergic reactions you might see with these stings. Severe reactions I mentioned before are called anaphylaxis, and they can cause life-threatening symptoms such as severe pain, swelling in the throat, hives and itching in areas that are far away from the sting site can make you have a rapid heartbeat, you may feel nauseous, you may vomit actually, your blood pressure may drop, you may faint, you may have difficulty breathing, it could be really serious stuff. Occasionally, sting sites may become infected, so the redness and discoloration in the area of an infected sting looks different from a regular sting because the redness and discoloration spreads over time. Instead of going away, the swelling worsens, the area becomes warm and painful to the touch. And in some cases, you may actually develop a collection of pus, and that is called an abscess, and that actually may drain from the wound, could be foul-smelling, really bad stuff. Now, to treat a bee and wasp sting, you have to act quickly. So rapid action is going to speed recovery from a sting. If the stinger is still in the wound, you want to remove it immediately with a fingernail or even by scraping it out away with a credit card. The faster you remove it, the faster symptoms will resolve, especially in bee stings because sacs of venom that are attached to the stinger left by the bee will continue to pump venom into you as time goes on. So you want to really get rid of that as quickly as possible. You also want to clean the sting with soap and water or an antiseptic. You want to use ice packs to remove and, I'm sorry, reduce uh, pain and swelling. You want to use maybe some topical hydrocortisone cream or an antihistamine to reduce swelling. Calamine lotion will help or an antihistamine to relieve itching. And if there's a sign of infection, as I, I talked about before, you want to definitely Take an antibiotic like amoxicillin, cephalexin, clindamycin, all these will work and cover any obviously draining wounds with a dressing. Of course, severe allergic reactions should be treated with uh, epinephrine auto-injectors, things like the EpiPen. These are commonly used, very simple, and they are very effective to counteract anaphylactic shock. So, family medic, you have to make sure that you know that there's more to worry about in the great outdoors than the lions and tigers and bears that you heard about in the Wizard of Oz. You have to watch out for tiny but not defenseless stinging insects. Stay away from their homes. They're less likely to bug you. This is Joel Nendy, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times are bad. Thanks for listening. Yeah, um, pretty much the most dangerous animal on the planet is the bee. And pretty much the least dangerous animal on the planet is the bee. Depending on whether or not you are particularly allergic to the animal. And what I mean by that is they actually kill more people every year than any other animal on the planet. It's something that we don't think about. And it, we don't think about it in modern society because once a person is known to have an allergic response, they generally keep an EpiPen around and modern medicine saves lives that would otherwise be lost. A lot of parts of the world that's not, that's not true. And the other thing is never underestimate how dangerous Africanized bees are if their uh, nest is disturbed. They will literally wait for you. They will wait for you to come out. Like, people have tried to take shelter in water, and the swarm will stay over the water waiting for them to come out. It's pretty horrifying, really. Um, so, yeah, 
it, once again, though, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that most of these like horrible things that happen like that, like a a complete hive of these bees like severely attacking an individual to the point where they kill them, it's almost always young men. It's almost always young men. It can happen by accident. Certainly it can. But it's almost always young men. And young men do stupid shit. That's why they need old men like us to smack them in the ear. Something seriously lacking in society. But let's not go down that road. Let's talk about 401ks and ham radio with one expert, John Pugliano. Well, OTSP, we've got a couple questions to answer today. One is ham radio related and one is investment related. We'll get to both of these. The first one comes from Dubrovko. He's asking about digital ham radio for UHF and VHF, and he specifically sent some open source firmware that he came across. And so he's asking, what are the benefits of digital ham radio? Well, digital ham radio is really a broad category, uh, specifically in the case of what Dubrovko is asking or what he's sent with this particular open source firmware is that this is in the realm of FM, UHF, VHF radio. So if you think of the traditional Baofang or local repeater ham radios that use something like 2 meters or 70 centimeters, that's where he's referring to the digital aspect of this, not the other FT8 and other many other aspects of digital radio. But specifically to your question, Dubrovko. Now, as far as the advantages of digital and ham radio, it's really the same revolution that we've seen with digital replacing analog applications over the last, I don't know, what's it been, 40 or 50 years. And in most every application where digital does replace an analog method or application, what you see is a big improvement in efficiency. So specifically in terms of like UHF, VHF, FM radio, Using a digital signal over an analog signal, digital uses a whole lot less bandwidth than analog does. And so a digital repeater can not only have better use of the radio spectrum because the bandwidth is so much smaller, but you can also use methodologies like time division multiplexing to carry multiple signals or conversations over the same channel. And along with that efficiency, you know, comes form factor as well. You're going to use less power to transmit a digital frequency compared to a comparable analog frequency. And so that means better power consumption, better use of your battery. And then, of course, the whole physical characteristics of the radio can be made smaller, lighter, you know, just like we've seen, again, digital applications improving the function of almost every analog application over the last 40 or 50 years. And then, of course, the other big advantage to using digital over analog, you know, specifically with radio, is that you can not only transmit voice, but you can also transmit data. And once you're transmitting data, that opens up the Pandora's box of all the ways that you can automate and manipulate and use that data. So, you know, think of voice over Internet protocol or virtually any other type of application that you can do with your computer. So really the digital applications and ham radio are endless. I think when it comes to FM, UHF, VHF, digital applications, up to this point, the biggest problem has been the proprietary nature of the protocols. So ICOM has D-Star, Yesu has Fusion, and because of the proprietary nature, it's either been difficult or impossible to get the two to communicate together. And so in terms of the firmware that you came across, Open RTX, I think that's more of an effort to help merge all these proprietary systems together. 
the bottom line is that the technology and the applications just keep getting better and we're only limited by our own creativity. And this is something that's going to keep amateur radio relevant throughout the 21st century. Okay, our next question comes from Joseph, and he says, Where, if anywhere, can I put my 401k to stem the bleeding to come other than from just eating the penalty and dumping it into crypto? goes on to say that his company matches his contributions 100% up to the first 3%, and then on his own, he puts another 5% into his Roth IRA. Joseph, I guess I'll give you two possibilities or two avenues of approach. And the first approach is what I would take, and this is more of a conservative method. I'd look at it from the aspect that, you know, specifically in your 401k, your employer is matching your contributions. And so that would mean that even if the market dropped by 50%, you still wouldn't have lost any of your original principal that you put in because your employer is matching it by 100%. So I think that really limits your risk. And I would just continue to do that. Your 401k plan is going to have some type of a stable value fund or something that's not directly tied to either stocks or bonds. You could park your money there. And if you bide your time, you're going to eventually see some type of a market-based system that allows you to invest your retirement money into Bitcoin. You know, whether it's going to come from BlackRock or Vanguard or whoever, at some point, it's going to be mainstream enough where you will be able to buy Bitcoin in your retirement accounts. So be patient, it's coming. Now, on the other hand, and this is an approach that I wouldn't take, but if you firmly believe that there's no future in the standard stock market and, you know, traditional investment systems, then, hey, it's your money. Do with it what you want. Stop contributing your 401k. Pull the money out. Pay the penalty. The penalty's only 10%. And, you know, the taxes are the taxes. You're going to have to pay them one way or the other anyways. They're just deferred. So really, you're only sacrificing the 10% penalty. And you will be missing out on the 3% match. But if your convictions are strong enough that Bitcoin is the financial system for the future then a loss of 10 or 13% is really going to pale in comparison to the 10 or 20 or 30-fold gains that you'd get by investing in Bitcoin. So it's your money. Make the most of it. Well, hey, again, thanks for all the questions. Until next time, this is John Pugliano from Investable Wealth and the Wealth Studying Podcast. The only follow-up I'm going to have on this one is when anybody says to me the following words, I need to get my money out of X so that I can dump it into crypto. Don't do it. The mental state a person is who uses those words that way is in the wrong state of mind to be making an investment decision. Put all the paperwork down. Back away slowly. Think through what you're about to do. And when you come to me and you use the word crypto that way, it's a double alarm. Now, you notice that John used the word Bitcoin, but the person asking the question used the word crypto. Dump into crypto. Don't dump into anything. Logically thought out investments are intelligent decisions. Dumping into a thing and running from a thing due to fear inevitably lead to out of the frying pan and straight into the fryer. And what happens to this person inevitably is this. They take a big hit. They throw their own money at a thing, whatever it is, some shit coin or something, or Bitcoin. Markets do what markets do, and this thing has a major downturn, because they happen. They freak out, they bail out at the worst, and they just keep taking a bath over and over again.
don't do this. Don't do this. And as much as I have concerns for the dollar long term and investments like the stock market, etc., I still have money there. Because I'm going to do a whole show on this concept, but this is what I want to throw out to you before I do my segment here. Do you know what you call a really great plan with a 99% chance of success with no contingency for the 1% chance of failure? Do you know what you call that plan? A really stupid fucking plan. Really fucking stupid. Let me say it one more time, just so I'm clear. It is a really fucking stupid plan. 99% chance of success. 1% chance of failure. Nothing done to mitigate the 1%, to hedge on the 1%. This is why my investments remain truly diversified. Diversified doesn't mean I have small cap, mid cap, income, and dollar-based, you know, like stable investments inside of 401k. That's completely undiversified. That's one type of investment, U.S. dollar investments and securities. That's not diversified. So I am all for this person investing some of their money into Bitcoin. But what I know what's going on here. I'm going to miss out. I got to do it now. Everything's about to fall apart and Bitcoin's about to be worth a million dollars. You don't know that. I don't know that. I am probably one of the biggest Bitcoin bulls on the planet. And I still have silver. And I still have gold. And I still have securities. And I still have cash. I still have equities. Okay? That is a common sense approach. I still have a business with a cash flow. I haven't walked away from that. Honest to God, I could. I love what I do. Sometimes maybe when I'm really mad, it doesn't seem like it, but I do love what I do. But if I wasn't going to do this, I would have some other business with cash flow in it. This is how you have to approach preserving, protecting, and building wealth going forward. You can't have a great plan with a 1% chance of failure and no mitigation on that 1%. And nobody's plan is 99%, by the way. So as that number goes down, 90%, 85%, it becomes dumber and dumber to not diversify, to not hedge. Dumber and dumber and dumber. Because here's the real thing about all these. No matter how good a plan is, it will have moments of failure. Even if the plan is 100% across 20 years, what if the failure coincides with another failure in your life? requiring you to rely on the plan that's now in its temporary state of failure and to extract from it before it has time to recover. That's where most Americans have their whole lives fall apart. Even though the long-term plan is solid, in its moment of weakness, they do not have the wherewithal to ride through it, either due to fear and jumping early or actual life crisis. Anyway, I'm going to stop or I'll do the whole show in advance. Okay, so I want to talk to you guys about what happens what happened here in Atlanta. And I'm going to play for you a piece by a local media channel 2 uh, because my voice is still strained. And I'm just going to come back and talk about it a little bit and then we'll wrap up for the week. Uh, here you go. 
The city demolished a man's home. He says he got no warning. Now they want him to pay for the demolition. Insult to injury, it's, 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 it was mind-blowing. I was flabbergasted. New developments at 6, the legal battle, and why he fears the city could seize his property before his day in court. Live, local, late breaking. This is Channel 2 Action News at 6 p.m. Coverage you can count on. It's Friday evening. Glad you're with us. Welcome to Channel 2 Action News at 6. I'm Linda Stouffer. Hi there. I'm Justin Farmer. And here, new developments. The city demolished his home, and now they're trying to foreclose on the land to pay for the $68,000 in demolition costs. The whole time, an Atlanta man says that the paperwork had the wrong address on it. Channel 2 consumer investigator Justin Gray has been reporting on problems with the city's code enforcement division for some time. Justin's with us live in southwest Atlanta. Yeah, and Justin, I'm standing right now on Lawton Street, but the paperwork for the demolition of what's now this vacant lot, it was for Lawton Avenue. That's a different place a mile away, but instead of correcting the mistake, the city is now trying to foreclose on this property to pay for that demo bill. I'm not going to let the city take this from me. I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. It's just a lot now. The city demolished the Southwest Atlanta house. But Everett Tripodis was served with a lawsuit from the city of Atlanta saying they intend to foreclose and take the land. When I saw that it came from the city, I was quite excited. Maybe it was a letter of apology. Maybe it was a check. Maybe they're going to justly compensate me. I opened it up and realized that they were suing me. We told you in a Channel 2 Action News story in March how before tearing down the house, the city sent its notices that an inspector found the house unfit for habitation to wrong addresses. Certified letters were returned to sender. Even the official demolition hearing notice was for Lawton Avenue, zip code 30314. But Tripodis' home is on Lawton Street, 30310, 1.4 miles away. Our Channel 2 Action News story got the attention of city council. A review of the city's demolition or in-room process reported to council in April found that some property owners were unaware their homes were up for demolition. But now, even after those problems were flagged to city leaders, Tripodis got served with this lawsuit. The city alleging that, quote, the property should be sold at public outcry unless one or more of the interested parties tenders the full redemption amount. That amount, with interest, it's now more than $68,000 in demolition costs. After you air the story, after everyone sees it, instead of them fixing the problem, they double down and do it again. It's like... After the slap comes the spit in my face, I'm just, I'm just frustrated. And Travotis had already filed a lawsuit against the city for the demo. That's been stuck in the Fulton court system. But this foreclosure suit, he only has a few weeks to respond to it. Now, we did reach out to the mayor's office. They tell us they are researching this situation. Reporting live in southwest Atlanta, Justin Gray, Channel 2 Action News. Okay, this is Banana Republic shit. This is the crown wants your land, so they take your land, and then they charge you to take it from you. Look, I want you to think about the very end of this report. He only has a few weeks to respond to their foreclosure notice on his piece of land that they demolished that they're billing him for. But his case is held up in Fulton County Court. Their case, not held up. Regular procedural business happens every day. We got to take this dude's land away. Judge fast-track it. Judge in the other court can't be bothered to say, wait a minute, this guy, uh, what, what was done to this man is wrong. Like any judge that's looked at this and has allowed it to proceed on the city's end or impeded it in any way 
should be stripped of their judgeship and impeached and removed from the bench. You're not qualified to be a judge. Period. The people in this neighborhood, if they had any spine, should be on the edge of pulling the wall off of the freaking city council headquarters. Where, wherever these clowns meet that are responsible for this. And then I love the mayor's response. We're researching it. Well, how much research do you need to do to know that one of your citizens is being wronged by your city that you could stop? Trust me, if the mayor made a phone call, one phone call from the mayor, to whoever works in the office that's issued this lawsuit and said, hey, knock this shit the fuck off right now, drop it. It would be dropped like that. And there's not a single voter on either side, red or blue, that would say he was wrong in that. It would be a political win for this mayor to do this. Hey, our city screwed up. I don't know how we're going to fix it, but we're going to fix it. But we're not going to make this man's life any worse. Where are you, Mayor? I know where you are. You're playing golf and playing grab ass with some developer that probably wants the lot for some reason where you accidentally made a mistake. He didn't accidentally make a mistake. Has anybody heard this plot line before? If you're like, I think I've heard something like this happening before. It was a movie. It wasn't a house, though. It was a crime. It's literally the script from this movie. Two cops, they get a tip. Instead of street or place, they go to lane. Same address, different road. A few blocks away. They go inside. Dude's taking a shower, drying his hair with a hairdryer. They see a dude with a hairdryer silhouetted. They think he has a gun. And they shoot him. The actor that was shot was played by Tom, or the, the actor was Tom Selleck. They played the character in it. It was called An Innocent Man. The two cops cover their shit, and he goes to prison. Finally gets out of prison, backstabs the cops. One of the cops ends up dead. The other cop ends up in the same prison, and the guy that helped him while he was in prison is like, Welcome to Shitville, buddy. It was an 80s movie. I'm not even sure it was a, you know, like cinematic. It might have been made for TV. It was a pretty good movie. It's fantasy land that the people responsible get their comeuppings in the end, though. Because no one, this is the thing. This is why I'm done with government. What was done here and is being actively done here is criminal. It is criminal behavior. If this guy gets what we would call justice in, in the world today, he will get, first of all, the lawsuit will go away. The bill will go away. And whatever was the value of his house, he will get paid to him in compensation. And on top of it, He'll get some form of mental anguish, judgment, whatever. Like, your life is being messed up by this. Like, in the best case scenario, this is terrible. And I'll call it justice. And then, the proponent of the system will turn to you and say, look, the system worked. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. If, if this man is made completely whole, plus, you know, mental anguish, life disruption damages, he still lost his house. He still had a criminal act committed on him. People are actively doing this who know better. They know they're wrong. So why would they do it anyway? Because they know they will never get fired or fined or bear any consequence. If this man justly has his lawsuit heard and receives judgment and payment, the people that did it will bear no consequence for it. Not one dime will come out of their retirement or their 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 uh, their salaries, not a single. And if they do fire somebody, it'll be some fall guy, and somebody's brother-in-law's cousin will hire them. 
for more money to do something somewhere else. No one will pay for this wrong, except who? The taxpayers, who were the ones wronged in the first place. When people say we're going to hold them accountable, and you can't even fix this, I say grow up and start realizing we're in this alone. This is what an M- I know you don't think this is related to what I talked about, the 10-city plan from Trump during the Ron Paul segment and what Ron talked about at the end of an empire. It absolutely is. Because these giant empires have multiple levels of tyranny all the way through them. It should not be possible for this to have happened. It should, there should be no way that this can happen. And if you're outraged by it, good. But know this, for every time something like this happens, and you hear about it, it happens a thousand times, there is no justice, and you don't. There will be no justice. There will be no justice for what was done on January 6th. And it wasn't the people rioting where justice needs to be done. It was the complete setup. The place was crawling with federal agents. Multiple calls were put out by the chief of D.C. police to bring in the National Guard that were purposefully avoided by Pelosi. There will be no consequences. When they did the January 6th hearing, they said the Speaker of the House was untouchable, could not be questioned. There will be no justice. Whoever gets elected next election cycle, there will be no justice. There will be no justice. There will be no holding them accountable. There will be no holding their feet to the fire. Not in Atlanta, not in D.C., not in your own backyard. Nothing will change until the whole system collapses. So you better be prepared for the whole system to collapse. Because sooner or later, it's going to. It's going to. And we are on our own. And there is no fixing a system that is corrupted at every single level. I don't care where you live. Your city government is corrupt. Your county government is corrupt. Your state government is corrupt. And you're damn sure your federal government is corrupt. And you can't fix it. These are the same apologists that when they talked about the FBI, I couldn't stand and stomach how many times these freaking talking heads, these empty suits on the radio like Sean Hannity. I'm not talking about the rank and file about the FBI. I'm talking about the people at the top. When the top of an organization is corrupt, the entire organization is corrupt. It's corrupt. You can't fix the education system. Well, it's the administrators. And hence, the whole system is destroyed. It's ruined. It's corrupted. Your school board is corrupt. You took it over with Republicans? Great. Is it a little better? Yeah, it's still corrupt. Your, 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 your county assessor is corrupt. Because it's their job to say your property is worth more than it is so they can tax it at higher levels. Your county planning department is corrupt. It's why in most counties in America today, you cannot build a house that's 900 square feet. Because the planning commission is corrupt. Why would you do this? Because it ensures higher tax assessments and more tax dollars for the people that reap the benefit of the tax dollars. Every single piece of government from top to bottom is corrupt. So what mechanism do you have to hold government accountable? Other pieces of the government itself. So you're going to use the corrupt to hold the corrupt accountable. Grow the fuck up. Grow up, America. Grow up. Stop believing in fantasy land. 
Prince Charming is not going to kiss Snow White and wake her up or whatever the fuck belief you have. Rapunzel's not going to let down her hair. Even Disney is corrupt. So stop believing in Disney-level solutions. It's corrupt. It's rotten to the core. There is no redemption. There is only rebuilding society without them. That's all that's left. Is it ideal? No. Will it be easy? No. Is there a guarantee that it will succeed? No. But you tell me the other option. And if it uses words like hold their feet to the fire, hold them accountable, elect the right people, I do not take you as a serious person anymore. I, I'm sorry, I don't. I know you may mean well. I know you may be a good person at heart, but you're not a serious person. Because a serious person would look at what's going on in the country and the world today. A serious person would look at the fact that our own government just said, hey, you know what, we know that when we send billions of dollars to Ukraine for this war, that a significant portion of it is going to be embezzled and stolen. And that's just the cost of doing business in Ukraine. Our own government literally just said that. Okay, our own government, not the Russians, not the tools of Putin, the people telling you that we need to do it, admitted that. We're paying the retirement of government officials in Ukraine with America's money right now that we borrow from China. And we're going to hold them accountable? Grow up. No, we won't. No, we can't. All we can do is build in the face of everything they represent the exact opposite. Our own systems. And we can. It won't be easy. There's no guarantee we will succeed. But there, there is one guarantee. That their system will fail. And you can guarantee that because it's like looking at a building that has flames coming out of the windows of every floor. What, what exactly the wreckage of that building will look like in the end, we don't know. But if the United States is a building, we have long passed the point where the fire department says, we got to let it go. we got to let it go. All we can do is keep the fire from spreading. The problem is, when a building the size of the United States empire burns, there is no way to keep the fire from spreading. We have to build in the middle of the ashes while the fire yet burns. Because if you wait till the fire burns out, you may not have enough time to build. And instead of that being like a real depressing thing in the one new show this week at the end, I want it to be inspirational. The fact that you can should be inspirational. The fact that you have the opportunity should be inspirational. The fact that people have already started before the collapse for maybe the first time in global history of civilization men and women have decided it's there's nothing I can do here but there's something I can do right here and I will do it to me that's inspiring they will not go out without a fight but they will go out this experiment in humanity's existence has failed it is over it is done and it's not just our empire for all the talk of bricks and what have you all of it is going to collapse as well all of it the nations that will be superpowers a hundred years from now 
will put 90% of their effort, their blood, and their treasure to work inside their own borders. Most of you listening to me won't be here to see it. You're too old to make it another hundred years. You get to live through the decline and the collapse of this current experiment and prepare the next generation for the eventual rebuilding of society. I suggest you get on it. You got a weekend ahead of you now. Spend some time doing something to that end. I'll catch you Monday with another episode. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.